Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. There is nothing like hearing a personal testimony of how a Christian came to faith in the Lord Jesus. It does good to the heart of believers, as well as to seeking sinners anxious to know their sins forgiven. Becoming a Christian involves a very personal encounter with Christ Himself through the Word of God. Yes, the Word of God, the Bible, is living and powerful and able to give life to honest seekers. Spiritual life, eternal life. It tells us how we can be sure of heaven. It points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. In today's message, speaker Gaius Goff tells the story of how he got saved, of God's dealings with him throughout his lifetime until the day of his salvation in his teenage years. We're sure you will enjoy this fascinating story and trust that it will be a help to all our listeners who truly want to be sure of God's salvation. I'm going to read first in verse 13 of Exodus 12. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now I'd like to read one more verse in the New Testament in the Gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 36. That's the last verse of the chapter. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You know, there's certain things happen in life that God allows in order to make us conscious of the fact of a very short time that we have in this world. I've experienced that a few times. And I expect that was probably the first awakening that I was really involved with personally as a young boy. It was during the time of the Second World War. I was born the year before it started. During that time, a lot of men were gone from our country. So boys did men's work. Father was a little too old to go into the military. He was a good farmer, and he made sure that we produced plenty to justify us being involved with the farm life that we were in. Our nearest neighbor was a mile away from where we had our home. You'd only see the smoke of their house on a clear day. Couldn't see their house. You just knew that it was there if you happened to see the smoke rising. We lived in a bit of a valley. Father raised hazelnuts, they call them. He had 200 acres of hazelnuts. And then he had a lot of acreage of plums that turned into prunes that were sent overseas. And then he had walnut. These various crops that were used a lot during the war to supply needs for people in different places. So he also had a timber plot, several hundred acres of trees. And so during the times that we were there, we would sometimes help him to fall these trees and make plywood or lumber or whatever it was used for. And I remember the first time that really God woke me to realize the mortality of my life. I was walking along beside a long saw that was on a 
tractor. We were cutting 40-foot logs, which would be about the width of this room. And as we were moving along, the tractor was going over bushes, and the saw was 10 feet long, and it was waving a bit like this, and the little catch that was supposed to hold it in place let go, broke. And the saw came down and struck me here on my head and came down and opened me up down to about here. As soon as my father saw it, he jumped and he picked me up in his arms and he ran for as far as he could to our home. And my mother, as soon as she saw it, was wise as mothers are about things like that. And she grabbed a pillow off a of bed. Now, of course, I was, I was out of it by then. But she put that pillow and wrapped it tight with twine, with string, to hold that in the shape of my head and face right down across my body until they got to the nearest hospital, which was over an hour later. Those days, they didn't make little micro-stitches. They made big ones. I had 30 stitches that came from here to here, so they were pretty big. But when I came to an ad hospital, I was wrapped from the top of my head to my waist, like a mummy, with a little hole here to breathe through and a little hole here to suck a straw through. But I couldn't see or hear anything, and I'm lying there. But I thought, because everything was dark, no sound... I thought I was in hell. And what a terrible, terrible sense of loss and a sinking feeling. I have parents who pray for me every day. My father taught me how to read sitting at the kitchen table on his knee with a Bible. First word I learned was God. Second one was Jesus. And then the ands and the does and all that filled in later. But I remember lying in that bed and I didn't know where I was. I'm lost. And a nurse must have known that I had come too. She reached out and touched my hand. And what a relief, because I knew that lost people are not looking for somebody else down in hell to come and join them. One man said, send somebody so my brothers won't come. That was my first awakening. I went to a school where there's 18 children in eight grades. I was always first in my class. And I was always last in my class. You could figure it out. We had teachers that would open the Bible first thing in the morning and read the Bible or have one of us read. We'd sing a hymn and we'd pray. It was in the government schools in those years. But I got kind of careless as I got older. And getting towards my teen years, people used to call me names because of the <laughs> mark on my head. But I, I dealt with a couple of people kind of quickly because I was bigger than them. And that pretty well took care of the problem once the word got around that I wasn't going to stand for anything. And so they backed off right away. I'm not going any further than that either. But I can recall one day, Father sent my brother and I into a field to work together. I'm driving a, a tractor, and my older brother is riding a machine behind me, and the thing broke, and he called to me to stop. And I didn't stop too quick and went a little too long and destroyed a whole bunch of plants. And he yelled at me. He said, stop. And I knew that my brother had professed to be a Christian, and so... I went back alongside and snarky kid, I said, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. You pick on Christians, do you? They're not perfect? Is that what you think Christians are supposed to be, perfect people? Well, they're not. They're forgiven of their sins, but they're not perfect. And my brother didn't snap back or anything. We fixed it, and I went back and got on the machine and turned to look for him, and here he is up alongside of me. He leaned his elbow on the hood of that machine, and he said, uh, you know, Coming up the field here this day, I looked at your back, and I thought sometime when he turns around, if the Lord came, it would be just like in the Bible. Two will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. 
Now, I heard preachers preach in places like this. Sunday schools teach in classes. Bible read in our home and prayers made with my name on it. But when your brother talks to you out in a field like that, that's a powerful, powerful sermon in a few words. And he almost made me tremble. But then, you know, when you get into high school, you get careless, right? So when I left the 18 kids in 8th grade school and went to a high school, which was a huge thing, 1,000 people, and they came from all over, it was very, very different. I thought they were all stunned because they were really, they couldn't read like I could. You learn a lot of stuff in those little schools. The teacher seemed to think we were doing pretty good for people that came from one of these little small country schools. And I thought, hmm, I'm not too bad, you know. There's such a thing as arrogance and pride that comes over people that are blessed and have been shown a lot of favor. And that's one of the things that damns souls is pride. When you know you're good at a thing and you know probably you're better than somebody else and you kind of try to be polite, but you're kind of a little bit patronizing to them. Possible to get kind of arrogant, think you're better than other people because they're poor and they don't have what you have and they're not as smart and they're not as athletic as you are and they can't do all the things that you can do and you can run circles around them whether it's in a classroom or in a ball field. Now you be careful. If I'm talking to anybody with that mindset, you're in a very dangerous position of being set aside by God until your pride is humbled. And that's what had to happen to me. One day Father came to us as we came to a a Sunday. We had our work to do on a farm, but uh, Father had a way of waking us all up. We had a big round saw in our house, steel saw, and at 5 o'clock in the morning, Father had a hammer. And he'd come down the stairs, and he had his prayers and read the Bible and that, but then when he hit that hammer, boom, I mean, it woke everybody up just like that. The cats would screech and the dogs would bark. I mean, everything happened all at once when Father hit that saw. And he said, from now on, we got to move everything a half an hour ahead. I thought, 4.30 in the morning. Because he said, we're going to have a gospel series in a veteran of foreign wars building. It's about eight miles from where we lived. And he said, I want us all to be there every night. And I want to be there to pray a half an hour ahead of time. So everything was shoved ahead a half an hour. And he said, "Uh, when you come home from school, you do your work right away. Because we're going to those meetings. Like this, same kind of meetings we're having here. So I thought, okay, I can suffer that for a little while. And uh, I came home from school one day. I heard my sister in her room. She was older than me. There's three years between all of us youngsters. My older sister was well along in her high school years, and she had professed to be a Christian a few years before. And I heard her talking to her, some of somebody in the room. And so, you know how teenage boys do. You like to rattle the cage of your sister every now and then. So I thought I'll just go in and give them a little bit of a fright. Just shove the door on the way down the hallway. Opened the door and looked in, and to my surprise, my 17-year-old sister is down on her knees at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and saying out loud to God, Oh God, he is so careless. Won't you do something to wake him up again? She knew when this happened. She apparently knew what happened in the field with my brother. And I eased back from that door and I closed it as quietly as I could, and I backed down the hall and turned. All of a sudden, no joke at all in my head, but an art in my heart from a 17-year-old sister who knew her brother, me, was as careless as a rabbit, and it concerned her. 
We went to those gospel meetings. There was seven of us fellows within two grades in high school and that were at there. And I said to the boys the first night, I said, now, boys, the way it's going to be here, you know, if we try to sit clear in the back, those ushers were going to move us up. So I said, why don't we claim the third row on one side? There's seven seats. I said, we'll stake that out for the whole time. And they agreed. So we staked the third row from the front on that side, seven seats. And every night when we came, seven of us sat there, teenagers. You know, you do the guy thing. You be polite because the Bible is there. You sing a hymn when they sing the hymns. And you do the things that you're supposed to do. And I'm listening to these men preach the gospel. And, you know, I went out just like I came in. And I went on for three weeks. And one night, my mother had to stay home because she wasn't well. When I got home, that night she said, uh, Gaius. She said, I want you to do something for me tonight. I said, sure, Mom, whatever. That's how smart aleck kids do it. You know, piece of cake, Mom, whatever. I can. Have I ever let you down? You know, I'm, I'm your son, sure. You know, you kind of tease your mom a little bit. And she said, now, you can do it, but I want you to promise. I said, Mom, Mom, surely you know me well enough that I'm not going to let you down. She said, no, I'm, I know you well enough, but I'm not sure you will. I said, whatever. She pulled out this little piece of paper and held it out in front of me. She said, I want you to read that before you go to sleep tonight. I looked down, and it was a gospel paper, something like they got out on that table. But the title was 48 Hours in Hell. And I looked at that, and when I looked up, she was looking right at my two eyes. You promised. And I sat on the edge of the bed and read that, and that was no bedtime story, let me tell you. But my mother knew that her son needed to be woken up. And she prayed a lot, but she just passed me that. And in the morning, she looked at me, and she knew I'd read it without even me saying it. That night, I came to the gospel meeting again, like this. There's an empty chair beside me, and so after Father and the others came from a room, something like back here, where they prayed for the people like we pray for you here every night, just right in the back corner here, instead of sitting by my mother, Father looked around, and if he didn't walk up and sit down right beside me. Now, that doesn't go down too good with a teenager who thinks he's pretty, you know, cool. That wasn't a word we used, but, you know, he thinks he's doing all right. I mean, after all, don't treat me like a kid, right? So it kind of made me half mad. And I'm kind of half griping, sitting, in, I mean, silently, but inside, at my father sitting beside me, and... Halfway through that meeting, I saw my father reach for his pocket. And instead of wiping his nose, he wiped his eyes. And he didn't take it off of his hand. A little bit later, he didn't wipe his nose again. He wiped his two eyes. I had never in my life seen my father cry. And I looked at him. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I wonder who died. Was grandma there? My grandmother was an old lady, but she was there. And all the old folks were there. And I'm looking to see what ever happened. And then I saw my father... And he looked through the side of his eyes at me, and he saw me watching him. He just looked at me, and he listened again. And all of a sudden, it struck me. You know why my father was crying? He's crying because I wasn't. He was crying because he thought I was just going to go on and miss God's salvation and not pay any attention. And all of a sudden, within seconds, my whole attitude changed in a moment of time. And I begin to listen with all ears. Boy, I do want God to save me. And I'm thinking about the things that had happened in my past. In the hospital, 
in the field, at the door of my sister's room, reading a tract the night before, and here's Father crying beside me. And I'm thinking, boy, I need this salvation. I need it now. And so I'm all of a sudden, instead of just sitting in a meeting as if it didn't make any difference, I'm as wide awake as could be, and I'm anxious for every word to come in. I didn't say it out loud or didn't use the words, but it was like, okay, God, I'm ready. And nothing happened. Not one thing happened, except I got more and more miserable as the meeting went by. And at the end of that meeting, I came to a conclusion, sitting in that seat. My father got up and went out. I turned to my six buddies. I said, boys, you fellows can go on. I want to be saved tonight, and I'm not leaving this room. Well, boy, you talk about six guys. I mean, we were ball players and all that kind of stuff, big guys, but they just kind of backed off and eased their way out and turned, and all of a sudden, instead of having a, a laugh or a little yarn, not a sound, and they left. And I'm thinking, what can I do? And I got up, and I went to a side room in this veterans building, and in the back is the bar you know, liquor on all the shelves and everything. And I'm sitting in there in a bar stool there, and all of a sudden the tears were coming to my eyes because I knew God wanted to save me, and now I wanted to be saved. But I honestly didn't know what to do. I mean, I could quote you all the verses on these walls and a whole lot more from the Bible. I learned them by heart. But anyway, I'm there, and this one tall man, his name is Mr. McElwain, came in, and he had his Bible. He said, sit down, son. He said, I'm going to let you read some scripture, and I'm going to read some to you. So 15 minutes for reading the Bible. Anything help you? I said, no, sir. I said, not really. I said, I, 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 I know all those verses by heart. He said, you do. Oh, he said, you know too much to be saved. And he got up, and he walked out and slammed the door. It wasn't because he was upset. He was trying to get past my hard shell. Well, boy, you talk and pull the rug out from under you. And all of a sudden, this became extremely important. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. A preacher gave up on me. If he can't see me saved, how am I ever going to get saved? And boy, I started to cry. It wasn't just tears. I started to cry. Now, that's hard for a teenager to admit. And then the door opened, and this other man came in. His name was Sidney Maxwell. And he didn't even come in and sit down. He just leaned up against the wall. And he says, tell me the story of the Passover. Just like that. I said, what? I'm mean, here's me on the road to hell and lost, and he's asking me to tell him a story. He said, no, tell me the story of the Passover. Well, I said, that's when the children of Israel and Egypt, sir, and I said, uh, the oldest one was going to die, and God said, put the blood on the door, and they wouldn't die. No, he said, that's not the story. And I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. I've been to a Sunday school, and I've heard that lots of I know it's the story. He said, no, that's not the story. He said, this is the way the story goes. And that's where I read to you in Exodus. He said, God said that the firstborn child in every home was going to die on the 14th day of the first month in Egypt. And God said the only way that could be stopped is if on the 10th day, three and a half days earlier, they would take a lamb that didn't have any sin, God said. Take a lamb and keep it until the afternoon of the 14th. And God said you were to kill that lamb in the afternoon, not in the morning, not at noon, but in the evening. You got to do it the way God said. And he said, God said that when you kill that lamb, you catch its blood. Don't let it run on the ground. you got to catch it in a basin. And God said, when you catch that in a basin, then you got to get some hyssop, not a piece of straw or any piece of cloth, but a, some hyssop. And he said, you dip it in that, and you paint the two sides, 
and over the top of the door, not the bottom or the door itself, the two sides, that's what God said. And he said, not only that, God said, if you did that in the right way, on the right day, then you were supposed to go inside that house and stay there. And you stand up with your coats on and eat supper standing up. That's what God said. And he said, God said that at midnight that night, when I see the blood, God didn't say when I see a scared youngster inside or a family that's trembling, I'll pass. God said, when I see the blood, the lamb, innocent lamb died for sinful people. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Not when I see you, but when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And you'll live, and you'll be free. Why the blood? And I thought, well, the lamb didn't have any sins. He said, you're right. He said, can you think of anybody else that didn't have any sins? That died and shed his blood? And I thought, why, yes, that was Jesus on the cross. I said, it was Jesus. He said, that's right. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross the same way as that lamb back there. Now he said, open your Bible and read John 3.36, which I did. I opened it up and I read, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And I understood that in the same way God saw the blood on the door, two sides and the top, it was the same way that God saw the blood on the cross, the two sides and the top. And God says, when I see... I said, that's it. It was Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross so that God could save me. And I said to that man, I got it. I can see that. I do believe that Jesus gave his blood for me. He said, who's God looking at? I said, he's looking at Jesus. And so am I. And he said, well, what does that mean to you? Well, I I said, I have everlasting life. And oh boy, what a relief. And he said, well, somebody does something good for you. What do you do? Right there, I said, Lord Jesus, with all my heart, I thank you for dying for me. I appreciate it more than I can say. And I meant it with all my heart. That was 59 years ago. And it's still good and it's better. You know, the first time I told that story, it took about 45 seconds. But it's the same story. God looked at Jesus and he says, anybody that looks to Jesus, I will pass over. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Oh, is that good or what? Oh, the simplicity of God's great salvation. The Passover lamb was slain. The blood was applied. God saw the blood, and judgment was withheld. Why? Because a substitute had been found. Someone else had taken the place of the sinner. So, who is the Lamb of God? Christ himself. Yes, God provided his own Lamb for us. Tremendous! Have you received Christ? Taken the Lamb of God for yourself? That's what today's speaker did. He simply trusted in a completed work, the work of Calvary, where Christ suffered and died for sins. He was God's Passover Lamb. There is nothing left for you to do. 
Acknowledge your sin and your need and trust in the finished work of Christ on your behalf on Calvary's cross. His blood was shed for sinners. Receive him today, won't you? And worship the Lamb for sinners slain. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. 